Go Late Selects. Brought to you by Sky. Watch new exclusive and unmissable content only on Sky. I wanted to try and guess this uh, theme song. Oh, I love it. A quiz. Great. Let's go. That's all you get. Well, my first thought is I don't think I was alive when this television show came out because I have no freaking idea. 1970s, maybe 80s, early 80s sitcom. American? English. The good, the good Life. Ed is with us this week. Ed, we can't hear you so well. So Ed, how are you? What are you saying it is? Is it The Good Life? Oh, no. The Good Life. It's something you like won, that. You've one guess left. Between us or one each? Georgia Mildred. Terry and Wrong. June. Oh, God. <laughs> what were we going to say there? Terry and June. Would you Correct. Let's oh. do it. Welcome to this week's podcast. Congratulations to Ed for winning the quiz. I was just going to keep going with, <laughs> with other double acts like Dempsey and Makepeace I've and Cagney and Lacey. And Dempsey and Makepeace. I did a movie with her. She was beautiful. Which Was she Dempsey or Makepeace? Correct. Sharon Gless. <laughs> <laughs> Which one uh, was she? Oh, no, no. It's Sharon Gless. No, that's not. No, Cagney no, and that's, Lacey. that's Cagney and Lacey. Dempsey and Makepeace. And then, is this, so what was the one with Pierce Brosnan? Was that R- Remington Steel? Oh, Remington, Remington Steel. Steel. Love it. Do you know what? Some week we'll deep dive into those types of shows. and Moonlighting, another great yeah. 80s series. Launched his career, didn't it, for old Brucey boy? That's right. Him and Sybil Shepherd. Indeed it did. I don't want you losing any more sleep over me. Believe me, if and when I ever find myself over you, the last thing I'll be thinking about is sleeping. Besides, you're already covered. I put a good word in for you myself. You did. No big deal. Ah, those were the days. How are you? I'm, I'm great, pal. Listen, uh, it's been a, a momentous weekend and a and, and few days for you with your uh, stepping away from Ireland AM. I'm wondering... Oh, stepped away, is, dear boy, yes. Is the reason we're not in the same room today is because you can't get out of your house uh, for want of all the, the, the cards and well wishes and, and the size of your ego because uh, there's been a lot of love for you and it's been richly deserved for your uh, your God services. You. Your services. No, the to, reason to I'm not there is television. because the car broke down and I can't get out. Hey, real world. Showbiz, folks. Real world. Domestic bliss, baby. All righty. So, the first thing we're going to uh, tell you about on the podcast this week. Uh, first of all, what is the podcast, Ada? What is it? What is it? Tell me. Who is it? What is it? Thank Who sponsors it? Thank huh? you for that timely reminder. This could be gar- This could be Gardening Weekly. It could be fucking stamp collecting monthly. Exactly. No, this is Go Loud Selects, a Go, Ra- Go Loud original, a Go Loud production, and it is brought to you by Sky, and that's where we start this week. Simon, have you heard about... Sky Glass. I have heard a lot about it, Ado, and I thought, first of all, when I heard, I thought it was a new platform or something. What mm. is it? Okay, well, it's it's that and a whole lot more. So get your get your ears around this. It's a new, brand new, all-in-one TV from Sky that puts all of your TV, every different app, into the same place. It's uh. got voice command. And here's the key, right? So the first thing you need to get, get your head around, it's a, it's a television it's set. It's an actual TV. It's a TV set. They come in different sizes up to, you could have one bloody the size of a, a screen in the Aviva Stadium. Nice. And here's the thing, you now don't need a satellite dish anymore. 
because connected through your Wi-Fi, you get all your Sky, you get all your favorite apps built into it. So everything's there. So it eliminates a lot of things, including that big ugly dish on the size of your house. I mentioned this. So it's an all-in-one stop for all your TV watching platforms. Sums it up pretty much in a nutshell. Happy you, you, days. You should be doing the ad for them. One line. It's, it's Everton, <laughs> folks. Sky, get on it. So I mentioned that uh, it comes in different sizes. Three sizes, in fact. It also comes in five different colours, so you can match the the look of the your, wallpaper, the what look of your living room or your bedroom. It's yeah. ultra HD. It's got what's called quantum dot technology, which produces what? over one billion colours. I thought there was only about twelve colours, but anyway, there's one billion. It's now, a another thing that people are really impressed because I've watched some reviews of this is the sound. Do you remember once upon a time sound bars were a thing, an add-on to your telly? Well, this has what's called a 360-degree Dolby Atmos sound uh, built in, and it has a subwoofer as well. Name the movie. Are you recording this in Dolby? In Dolby? Dolby? What line is that from? Come on, Ed. Spinal Tap. Jesus, you're two for two, Ed. I'm on catch it today, you before the end of the show. Okay, I love quizzes, but I've decided there'll never be a quiz on this again because I get shown up <laughs> for my fucking ignorance. <laughs> anyway, so this has Dolby sound. It does, and it also has, because we're becoming lazier and lazier and we just want technology to be more uh, efficient and helpful in our life. So you now don't even have to press your remote. You'll walk into the room and the television will turn itself on and you'll say, hello, Sky, and you'll tell it what to stick on and it will. And here's another important thing uh, before we get into some finer points. And, uh, and this is very important. It's the world's first television to be certified carbon neutral. Ah, so that's now a big, you see. That's a big tick and a big plus. It starts from as little as 15 euro per month. Like I mentioned, all your apps are there. Sky, Netflix, Disney+, Plus, Apple TV, Prime Video, Spotify, more. Use your voice to control it. Comes in loads of different sizes. This is revolutionary because everyone else is making new platforms. They're just doing everything now. They're go, you know, it's hardware as well as the software, if you want to put it that way. And we're all of an age where I'm pretty, I, I'm pretty sure I can speak for both of you to say that we all put our backs out at least once trying to move a television, the old box television. Oh, good God, day. yeah, with the big arse on them. With Jesus, the- I remember getting my first proper TV when we moved into our first house together. It was a Sony. My mate worked for Sony and got me a deal on one of these 42 inches, but it was the size of a, of a mini metro. Jesus <laughs> Christ almighty. We trying used to shift. a broom handle to change the channels. <laughs> well, the, I remember at one point when, on when yeah. we moved house, I actually considered leaving the fucking thing there because I didn't want to lift it again. <laughs> you need the planning permission for the next visit. <laughs> Yeah, it's amazing. Oh, now. And dear, now we're going, dear. oh, I don't like it's, it's It's three inches thick. No, it oh. won't fit there now nicely. Um, well, that sounds the bizzo, Aiden. It really Sky does. Grass. Yeah, I'm, I'm intrigued to find out more about it and maybe uh, maybe get it at some point. Um, oh. Yeah, yeah, may, maybe so. Uh, going back to the old televisions, do you ever put a, do you ever smash an old television screen deliberately or by accident? Uh, did I ever smash an old? Uh, it's very, no. very dangerous because they were vacuum tubed. So oh, they, Jesus, that's right. So yeah. they exploded and I found this out because we used to cut grass for a living and uh, we were cutting the grass of a lady on the end of the road and she had a skip and she'd thrown out her old TV and one of my more um, adventurous friends decided to throw an axe at it and he hit it and it exploded oh and large chunks Jesus. of two-inch glass went fucking flying everywhere like a bomb had gone off. Wow. And Tell, what is, What's he doing for a living now? Go on, please tell me he's in government or something. What's he doing for a living? He's got, yeah, he's got a very, he's a school principal. <laughs> he's a school principal in charge of health and safety. I love it. 
I love it. And he wears a patch over his eye from the day he chugged an axe at the telly in the so skip. if any old <laughs> 1980s TV shows up, do not fucking attempt to break them deliberately or otherwise. Amazing. Right, else. this week, um, the much-awaited, uh, long-sought-after review from the one and only Brian Lloyd oh. of, of Michael Flatley's movie Blackbird is coming. If you listen to last week's episode, you will know that this has been... Uh, an odyssey and a, an obsession for Brian yeah. for the last, I don't really know why, Simon, but for the last three or four years. Uh, well, the last five years, because it was supposed to come out and then never came out, but it eventually has come out. And actually, on last week's episode, it's probably the one that I certainly, <laughs> we got the most response to online. Lots of people were listening to it and going, that you need to do a second part of that episode. Well, it's here today because, as you say, he is going to review the movie, warts and all, no holds barred. I think we should put a pair of tin helmets on. I think we're going to need some sort of protection. He may, he may be he sim- may spontaneously combust. similar to an exploding fucking television from 40 <laughs> years ago, perhaps. Before oh. Brian, though, uh, let's give you some of our own recommendations. I mean, the fucking nights are drawn in. It's getting darker. It's getting colder. I think that means we are going to be watching uh, more, more TV. Yeah. Uh, between watching Manchester United uh, be deadly, which is really, really <laughs> impressive. Uh, <laughs> Do you want to go first? What else have you been watching? Yeah, do you know what? I was speaking of the, the nights coming in and the signs. One of the biggest signs to me that we're going back into school and all that kind of stuff is the return of Antiques Roadshow on a Sunday <laughs> night. <laughs> and I have to say, as I'm getting older, I've actually, I series recorded it. I fucking love the show. I love it. I love it. I love it. And I watched it a couple of weeks ago. Um, this is my recommendation for this week, but it's a great show. I love it anyway. And there was a guy on and he was the, again, you'd like to say that he was the military historian on it. And, uh, they, this couple uh, had brought in, I think it was either their father or their grandfather's collection of medals. He was a World War I uh, veteran. And the guy who was uh, critiquing them and, you know, appraising them mm. was almost, his hands were visibly shaking as he was doing so because one of them, I can't remember specifically what the medal was. It was something like a Victoria Cross, very, very rare medal. And he was visibly shaken to see not just that medal, but the actual collection. He said, I've never seen this collection of medals before. And at the very end, they were a normal couple, like, you know, who you can imagine just living in a three-bed semi in in the middle of Birmingham or whatever. And he said at the end, um, you know, that collection, he said, is probably worth upwards of 300, 350,000 pounds. Holy shit. Just that one medal alone. I, I think it was the Victoria Cross. Somebody will tell me it was uh, whether I'm right or wrong. Well, do you know what? Maybe there's, there's about a quarter of a million. As we say, Queen Victoria, she didn't want it to be worth money. They do have a value. Mm-hmm. You any idea what they might be worth? Not really. It's something that will never leave the family. Two hundred and fifty to three hundred thousand pounds. <laughs> I didn't think it would be that much. Easily. I need a stiff cup of coffee. <laughs> I'm a bit like my husband, shocked. <laughs> I didn't expect that at all. We'll be returning the medals to the bank. Um, we're keeping them in the safety deposit box there. I think that's probably wise. Yeah. Again, it, it was amazing. The beauty of that show is they had photographs of the man himself, the soldier, and they were able to talk about his military record and what battles he fought and why why he won this, why he was awarded these various citations. And not just they didn't just have the medals, though, either. They had the actual citations from, from King George himself. Uh, I think it was the King George Cross, maybe. But the citation 
describes why he got the medal, what the battle. And I remember the battle was he he single handedly brought a unit. They were trying to take down a, a German machine gun placement and the unit was made up of something like 19 men. Mm. And six or seven of them were mown down straight away. And most people, as the citation said, would turn on their heels and gone. He kept going and single-handedly he shot something like eight Germans. He took the machine gun placement down, which allowed the forces then to move up the front lines. Incredible story, incredible. But I diverse. My t- my recommendation, it isn't even a TV show this week, Ed, can it's I a just, movie. Can I just jump in there now? Yeah. Uh, just with, with, I have a question for both you and Ed. Oh, go on. Seems I've been losing the quiz today. So you just talk yeah. about uh, medals in the war there, Victoria Cross. Yeah and the like. Do you know uh, what the medal was called that was awarded to animals who who, who served in, in military forces oh, during uh, right. World War World War One, World War Two. The pedigree chums. So because, and the reason I asked this because I remember doing a report on this for daytime television many, many years ago, and it always stuck with me because it was one of the most remarkable stories, and it was the story of uh, an Irish pigeon. Okay. who was awarded the animal version of the Victoria Cross for being the first pigeon to return from That's Normandy to London wow. with news of a successful D-Day landing. He had the note rolled up and tucked in, his, you know, hooked onto his toe. And he, because most of they even shot the pigeons to go, fuck that, they've got the news, shoot the pigeons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Paddy, Stop the pigeon. Paddy the pigeon made it back and Paddy was awarded the... Dickens. Yeah, did you just Google that? He did. I did, yeah. yeah. The Dickon Medal. The Dickon Medal. The Dickon Medal. I don't know if any of them sh- will ever show up on the Antiques Roadshow. That's incredible. Yeah. Uh, they I'd love to see the Pigeon's great, great, great grandchild on the on the on the Antiques Roadshow. Roadshow. Yeah. And where did you get yourself? The, <laughs> with the medal under its. Medal. Oh, your grandfather. Uh, yeah, yeah. Ooh. Yeah, I want to see the Netflix animated movie about Paddy the Pigeon. You could voice him, Simon. Oh, I could. How are you getting on? All right. I just <laughs> Where do you want me to drop it? But the sequel to Blackbirds could be. I'm not carrying that too exactly. fucking heavy. <laughs> I can't even read that. Your handwriting shit. <laughs> right. Love it. Uh, Love it. Sorry to interrupt. Now uh, back to your recommendation. Well, this was a movie that I came across. I can't even remember where I watched it last week, but it was, uh, I think it was Friday or Saturday night. And it's a movie that was made in, I don't know if I've talked to you about this before, Adam. It was made in 1996. Uh, and it's a movie called Night Falls on Manhattan. You ever heard of it? No, no, no. Okay, so this this was directed by Sidney Lumet uh, and it stars Andy Garcia, Richard Dreyfus, James Galdonfini, wow. uh, Lena Olin and Ian Holm. And I'd seen it back in the day when it came out. And when I was flicking through the channels or whatever the other night, I saw it coming up and it was starting short. And I said, oh, geez, I think, I think I remember this being good. It's fucking brilliant. So it's basically, it's an American crime drama. Um, and it's, it revolves around Andy Garcia, who, who plays, he's a newly elected district attorney. And uh, he's kind of his, the, the reason he ran for the position was he wants to stamp out corruption within uh, the New York Police Department. And... It's a story that goes off in tangents because while unearthing uh, various units of cops who are on the take and on the make, he discovers that his um, father and uncle, who are both cops, were both involved in the fucking thing. So he ends up having to prosecute them. It is fucking brilliant. And Richard Dreyfus. Wow. plays uh, <clears throat> He plays a lawyer in it who ends up prosecuting him. It's phenomenal. For the rest of you and the child of it. Or on the executive staff, if a cop or detective needs a search warrant at 3 a.m., you want to type it up, go to a judge's house, 
pull him off his wife or whoever else he's on top of and get it signed. If anybody calls for a definition of probable cause, reasonable suspicion, stop and search, you look it up and fax it to him in three minutes or your ass is mine and you bend the fucking rules. I don't want any goddamn civil liberty subtleties here. We get this cop killing son of a bitch and argue with the ACLU later. Do you hear me? Night Falls on Manhattan, 1996. And James Gandolfini, when I saw him, and I was like, ah, there he is. There's Tony. Right. I'm just Googling it here. And um, one of the questions on Google is, is Night Falls on Manhattan a true story? Uh, oh. Apparently it's based on a novel, but it says a secondary inspiration for the plot was the true story surrounding the criminal Larry Davis, who escaped arrest from the scene of a drug raid. So this, it is based in some truth, but I think what stands out most is the cast. Oh, the cast is phenomenal. Andy, like- Ga- Andy Garcia, uh, underrated or overrated in, in your opinion? Underrated. Yeah, underrated. So. He was the only actor to receive an acting Oscar nomination for The Godfather Part 3. Was he and really? We, yeah, he wow. was nominated for a sort of supporting actor Oscar for that. When you think who else is in that movie opposite him, um, it's probably the, the weakest of the three. It's still a great movie, yeah. but I think he's a phenomenal actor. I thought he was great in the um, the Oceans uh, a series. Oceans yeah. Eleven. He's yeah. brilliant in it. I, I think he's very, very underrated. And Night Falls in Manhattan is kind of when he was at his his pomp. He was great in The Untouchables as well as the young kind of up and coming cop. Oh, Do you remember him playing that's, young? That's a terrific movie. That's a great it's movie, a and, he's, movie. And, he's, and he's brilliant in it. Yeah. I think he's very underrated, Even, but he's kind of doing movies now. He's like, he's in a new version of Father of the Bride. I mean, Jesus Christ, Andy, why are you doing that? But look, he's obviously got a credit union loan that he needs to sort out. Obviously, yeah. yeah sure. Isn't that always the feckin' way? Are, but if you, if you are an Andy <laughs> Garcia fan, or a Richard Dreyfuss fan, another um, underrated actor, huge movie star back in the day. And um, also a James Gandolfini fan, because there the will, yeah. the will obviously be no more. Do you, because I know you you're such a, a a fan and an admirer of his. Of his, when do you get upset when you see him on TV now because he's dead? Yeah, it's very strange, isn't it? It's very. But he's one of those actors, and he and he play when he plays Tony. It's very hard to see him doing anything else now because when I look at him now, I even look at him you know, like he's a small part in Get Shorty with John Travolta mm. and. Uh, Dennis Farina, who's also passed on, he was another great actor. It's very hard to see him in anything else see him as anything else but Tony Soprano but of course you realise that he had such a huge career as a theatre actor you know he was in Cat in a Hot Tin Roof back in the day on Broadway I think alongside Alec Baldwin um, that's where they first met these guys have huge careers obviously before they go on to do what most people would describe as their career defining roles but it's very sad I, I think it's very sad when you see them particularly when you see them a lot younger in the, and in the, the prime of their life you're thinking my god but then you're thinking Jesus he went on to do so much mm-hmm. you know what I mean but if you are a Richard Dreyfus fan or Gandolfini or Andy Garcia hunt this down it's, it could be available online somewhere if not across the Sky platform somewhere maybe even on Paramount Plus that's where I saw it maybe but it's uh, 1996 a Sydney Lumet brilliantly directed <clears throat> very gritty great soundtrack but the performances are savages I really enjoy when you unearth a movie like that particularly you know a a 90s crime drama or an action movie that somehow passed you by you know and that has this great cast and has obviously a great script and and is well directed and sounds like it's a good film actually now that you mention it I don't think I even saw the cinema I think I came across it one night like on RT2 like at 11 o'clock on a Saturday night thing Mm. much like I did last weekend and I just I think I read about it and I saw well hang on Andy Garcia isn't it Oh, and Richard Dreyfus. Jesus, this could be good. And 
like it didn't take a hit, and it did less than ten million at the box office. Like, um, I think it did more when it did the DVD release, and I don't know whether it went on to win the awards. I, I don't even think it was nominated for anything. It should have been because critically, it was it was very well received. Um, I think he was he might have. I don't think it was Oscar or Golden Globe nominated, but it should have been. It's a brilliant, brilliant movie. Get on it. All right, I like the sound of that. Um, I don't know if you know the answer to this, but just when you mentioned <clears> it did ten million at the box office, now that's, yeah. that's back in the ninety, so it's uh, yeah, it was, but it was it's, good. It's, so yeah, but nowadays, did you know roughly what what's what's a good number to do at the box office, or like what's the bare minimum? Well, see, or does it, it all depend budget, on what you, you know, spend? Right. You know, okay. Right. A good figure at the box office is if you do what's called, if, if the movie wipes its nose, if it gets its production budget back, that's a good movie. So if your movie costs five million, right. you want to make five million. What you what you look out for is those movies that cost half a million to make and end up going on to make 200 million at the box office. That's that's striking gold, you know, and they're out there. They happen. There's plenty of them. Well, my, oh, Jesus, yeah. yeah, my pick this week is a movie that if we di- if we didn't have streaming services, it would absolutely have been in the cinema, and I do think it would have oh. it would have done very well at the box office. It's Ooh. called Thirteen Lives. Now, it's it's been out a while. I, I did plan on reviewing it a few weeks ago, but we had too much other uh, stuff to be talking about. Um, it's a biographical survival story. It tells the true tale of the Thailand cave rescue from uh, four or five years ago. It feels so much longer to me. I remember watching it live unfolding on the news. Remember Likewise, that? yeah, yeah, R- real life event. So it's it's the dramatised version of that. It is directed by Ron Howard. So already yeah. you've got a... Uh, a big, big director who's no stranger to directing disaster movies and survival movies um, like Apollo 13. He That's did, right. He did that Everest movie. And now this is 13 Live. So he, Ron Howard has a thing for 13. It stars uh, in the, the, the main roles our very own Colin Feddel and yeah. Vigo Mortensen, my friend, my mate Vigo. Your pal, yeah. yeah. Yeah, just in case anyone... You go back. You'd have to go back a few episodes to figure out why me and Vigo <laughs> are so tight. And uh, and also Joel Edgerton, Edgerton, if I'm saying that name right, uh, the Australian actor. Hello. 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 How have they done? English. 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 How many of you? 11. 13. 13? They're all alike. 13! Brilliant! 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 Uh, can we go out now? Uh, no, not today. Now, there are just two of us. We must dive. But many people are coming. It's okay. We are the first, but... but... But many will come, many more. So Colin and Vigo play uh, two real-life English guys who were the divers who were brought in to help and assist the Thai rescue services uh, to get these kids and their And these aren't uh, just and, and divers, they are they're, they're cave divers, which is very specialised, isn't it? It is, yeah, but this isn't their full-time job. Um, like, That's if I remember weird. Colin Farrell, like, his day job is, you know, he's like a quantity surveyor or a fucking geography yeah. teacher or something. You know, they yeah. do this part-time, yet they are the the A-team of, of rescue divers and cave divers in particular. And these these. Cave Caves, as we, you know, most of us will remember the story from the news, were so deep in in under the ground, and they were flooded. And are you claustrophobic, Simon? 
Oh, Jesus, yeah. And okay. I've, I've read Ron Howard talking about yeah, this. And yeah. Even he, who said he wasn't claustrophobic, he said it was terrifying making it. So that's one of the, I guess, the illuminating things about the film is yeah. that you get to see what it was like. And by oh, all Jesus, accounts, no. the, the real-life divers, who Colin and Vigo and Joel Edgerton are playing, were very much hands-on in, in um, advising on this movie. So, you know, and they say everything here was so accurate. This yeah. is how difficult and how deep and how, how dangerous it all was. The one big difference, they say, is uh, for television, for film you had to be able to see something underwater. So if Colin Farrell's like trying to wedge his way through this like fucking eight inch crack with yeah. tanks on his back and the mask and the, you know, the, the tube in his mouth and all that, you had to be able to see something. The real divers could see nothing. Pitch black. Pitch Jesus fucking Christ. black. And even when you're watching it with, with the bit of light that they had to show us on camera so we could see it, you're going, oh Jesus God, there for the grace of God go I. It's fucking and you know what? I don't, so I tight, don't think I so claustrophobic. And and like Ron Howard takes his time showing this because like the bulk of the movie is the rescue. Yeah, and it took yeah. days. Once they figured out actually well, first they had to find them, then they were then there was a genuine sense of they're there, but we cannot get them out. And you are know? they alive or are they dead? And, and well, when they find them, they realise they're alive. And there's the, an initial jubilation, and the, obviously the families are fucking mad excited. And the Thai police and the Thai governor, who's under huge pressure from the president to, you know, uh, make this successful, they're all like, "Yes, we're going to save them." Yeah. And Vigo Mortensen's character, quite coldly but realistically, is like, "They're dead. We're not going to be able to save them." Right. And yeah. Colin Farrell's character is like. We fucking have to, and he's like, "There is no way we can't." He's get like, "Get up there with that veto. We got a page in the yeah. resource. There's, there's no way you can bring, you know, uh, all these like kids, three, four yeah. kilometers out through the narrowest caves and cracks you've ever seen underwater. Didn't they have to sedate the Mado. So here's the thing, and that's a big uh, revelation in the movie for me. Um, they did. There was a documentary made prior to this movie where that was all revealed. But at the time, none of us knew this watching the rescue unfold. Were we not told that on the news that they had to sedate the I kids? I don't remember that. Movie. I don't remember. But now in saying that, the World Cup was on at the time. I could have been flicking over to watch a match. Um, but I no, I don't think that was public knowledge at the, at the time because it was very controversial what they did. And Joel Edgerton's character is, is a diver slash doctor who's brought in and they pitched this plan to him, uh, Colin Farrell and Viggo Mortensen going, look, the only way is to is to drug them. And and um, Joel Edgerton character is like, this is, A, has never been done. This is completely unethical. It's illegal. I don't illegal. understand why and, it's unethical. If someone's going to get operated on this, it ain't you. And, and, and it might kill them. You know what I mean? Yeah, perhaps I'm, but they weren't there for elective surgery. But anyway, they yeah. do, in the course of it, realise well, if we don't try, they're dead anyway, so we might as well try. But there is, like, they genuinely do it with no real sense that it's going to work. So the fact, oh, wow. and it ain't a spoiler because it's a true life story, we know what happens. The fact they do all come out alive is yeah. phenomenal and remarkable. So the other thing I want to I want to say is because we know the story, you're going, well, why would I watch the film about it? There is still so much, even knowing the ending, and this is the genius of the movie and how Ron Howard made it, and did the credit of Colin Farrell and Viggo Mortensen and Joel Edgerton, the, the, the acting uh, they bring to it, the authenticity, I believe they trained so much to do it, and they... Ron Howard was going to use a lot of stunt divers for certain scenes and Viggo Mortensen and Colin Farrell went, no, we'll do it. So what they would have had Jesus. to prepare and do is is unbelievable. But the real magic in the movie is, like I say, you know the ending, 
but you were still on the edge of your seat yeah. watching the rescue. And it is a real, true to life, triumph of the human spirit and overcoming complete adversity. And, and also, it, uh, as well as the divers, you know, being these these British heroes who come in, there was thousands of Thai people helping in other aspects, which I won't even go into because you'll enjoy yeah. that in the movie. They're trying to prevent <clears throat> flooding, getting into the cave. Like So it was just a, a gorgeous collective human effort to uh, save these beautiful kids and their football coach. I am sold. And, that and, is, you've and done an amazing did. job. It's, um, I'm going to watch that tonight. Uh, it, it's just a really yeah. solid film. Like, it, like Apollo 13 you know what happens but you don't know the intricacies of what was going on while it was all going to shit it's similar in this regard I certainly didn't know what was going on in that kind of five, six, seven, eight, ten days where where they between finding them and rescuing them. And um it's quite compelling and very dramatic. And Colin Farrell wow. has the most amazing English accent in it. He's not like, all right, geezer, what's going on, mate? He's kind of like this kind of he's kind of posh, but he's kind of yeah. a bit like this. Colin Farrell is entering the greatest part of his career. I, I yeah. well I, he the, is really growing into one of the finest actors in the world. Right I, now. I agree. Uh Simon, I'm a huge fan. You're, I, oh, absolutely. You're, you're yeah, a fan. Yeah, I think he's brilliant. There's, there's Oscar buzz and Oscar talk around his uh, his role in this uh, new McDonough movie with uh, Brendan Gleeson. Yeah, and this is, this is, apparently this just announced they're doing a spin-off of his Penguin character from the Batman movie. Okay. Um, Go on I thought he was. I thought one of his finest movies was Phone Booth. Me too. Me too. That's the kind of movie when it pops up on RT2 at 11.30 on a Thursday night. 100%. I'll just yeah, watch 100%. it. You know. So listen, where can we watch the uh, 13 Lives? So it's on, it's on your Prime. It's on Amazon Prime. And uh, yeah, if you've not seen it yet, it is a great movie. Like I said, this is the kind of film that should be in the cinema, but this is the way yeah. things are these days. And uh, and that's good news for a lot of people. You don't have to get off your arse and go and see it. But um, I highly, highly recommend it. You'll be... You'll have a big smile on your face at the end of it and your heart will be full. Ah, magic. So that leads me uh, to ask you a question, Simon. When I was reading up about the the intensity of the work Fadler and uh, Viggo Mortensen in particular had to do for this, what, what's the most difficult or have you been in a situation where uh, you've really had to Train for something. Dig deep. Dig deep. Exactly. I think. Yeah, I think. Yeah. I've been in what I would describe as uncomfortable situations. Okay. One springs to mind where I made a movie years ago over in um, over in Connemara on the very, like next parish, New York, out in Ranville, right out in the west, west, west of Ireland. Beautiful. And, uh, there was a scene. There was a scene in the movie. It was a period piece and uh, it was set in the in early 19th century. And uh, I was playing the village priest and there was a drowning in the local harbour. And the scene played out on the harbour and the beach. And we, myself and a couple of other of the villagers, were kind of standing watching what was unfurling. And we walk into the water and I can't swim. And I was absolutely fucking terrified. And they had we had to put wetsuits on underneath our costume. Yeah, and we were setting up the scene and we had to go out and we, we all stood at a certain point and, and the director, American director, kept shout, shouting, no, 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 you need to go further. So I was basically in, I was in the water up to my hips and uh, there were divers uh, swimming around us that couldn't be seen, obviously in case anything went wrong. And we had to meet this little rowboat coming in. But genuinely, uh, that's probably one of the moments where, because I'm a fucking wuss and I can't swim, and it was the fucking Atlantic and it was freezing and I was, the water was just above my hips. I was absolutely shiting myself. In terms of, you know, put what you had to put yourself through to go to get into a role, 
I probably have had more challenging times in theatre, um, mm. you know, various theatre roles. But now, just in terms of uncomfort or discomfort, probably that. That, and I had to film a scene where I ran down a street in Belfast, bollock naked. That was another <laughs> night where... Um, there was there was nothing hard about that, what? Oh. You fucking better believe there wasn't. Um, the, it was all hanging out. Yeah, that was another uh, terrifying moment of my career. But again, it's one of those moments where you just have to go... Just do it. Go yeah. for it. You sign the deal. Off you go. Balls uh, out. Balls and I remember that night where we filmed the scene. There was four of us. The characters were on a stag night in Belfast. And we ended up uh, running bollock naked through the streets of Belfast. But I remember myself and the other three actors, uh, Kieran McMenamin, and Kieran Nolan and Kevin uh, Elliott. Uh, we we, we'd, we were shoot, had been shooting for six months and this particular scene was on the back of our minds right the way through the shoot. It was scheduled near the end of the shoot. And it was a lovely female director, Philippa, who was on that episode. And they put it on the last scene of the last night and on the call sheet. And it was two o'clock in the morning. And uh, we had been filming in around Belfast that evening. So they'd fed us with a few pints <laughs> that evening to build up the old Dutch courage. But I do remember being offered by wardrobe what they called a cock sock. Um, <laughs> Which was which is something you had to put the meat and vegetables into, and um, because the cameras were going to shoot us from behind, so you were only going to see bare arses. But obviously, to protect your your pride, they gave us these things to put on. And one of the funniest half hours of my life was the four of us in the dressing room trying to we half cut trying to put these fucking things on, and they kept falling off. So I said at one point, lads, we had a one take deal with the director, and I said, lads. There's no point in putting these things on because if we run and they fall off, it'll be in shot. We'll have to fucking do it again. So I said, let's just do it bollock naked. And they all said, yeah, fuck it. So they put us in dressing gowns, stood us behind the camera. The camera was, you know, we were behind the camera. We were going to run past the camera and down about 500 yards down this street, at, at which point there were members of the costume department standing with towels and, and dressing gowns waiting for us. And, uh, we said the moment came and uh, they closed the set. It was about two o'clock in the morning and they shouted action and we dropped the dressing gowns and fucking pelted down the street in Belfast. And I have to say it was one of the most terrifying and liberating things I've ever done in my life. But I'll never do it again. <laughs> I got to say, that sounds like great fun. And you got paid oh, okay. to do it. How good is that? How good we is did, that? yeah. And, and of course, the one, these one-take deals never worked because we finished it and the director came down and said, that was brilliant, brilliant. Let's do it again. And we went, oh, fuck. So we ended up doing it twice. <laughs> oh, Lord. And did you, keep anyway. the co- did you keep the cock sock and is it in the memorabilia drawer? <laughs> yeah, it was signed by the other three and I have it uh, mounted over a hard-boiled egg here on the desk in the office. You're going to Antiques Roadshow. <laughs> Bring it on Antiques Roadshow. That's your retirement fund right there, son. Oh, That's the pension. dear, oh dear. Well, I think this is probably the most eagerly awaited movie review we've had in the uh, the lifetime of this podcast. And here, to pour glory or indeed a bucket of hot scaldy you-know-what over the latest Blackbird movie that is the film uh, from the one and only Michael Flatley. Victor Blackley, I believe you have something in mind. Who I am is none of your concern. And what I do is out of your control. Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. And I'm about to sin again. Let's get on with it. It's Brian Lloyd. Brian, we've been waiting for this all week. You've been waiting for this for years. You finally got to see the movie last Wednesday. 
Uh, where, uh, first question is, did you sleep the night before? No, actually, I didn't. I didn't actually. No, I, no, I wasn't. <coughs> it wasn't from lack of. Uh, it wasn't from excitement or anything like that. I just didn't actually get to sleep that night. <laughs> I don't get to sleep a lot of these days. Um, Christ, right. So I walked in um, and I will say it was the most packed screening I've ever, I've been at in quite a while. Okay. I mean, wow. everyone came out of the woodwork for this. It was unbelievable. In fact, I even know for a, I even know that there were a few non-journalists managed to... Uh, what would you call them? F- f- flatly fans? I'd flatly ca- fanatics? I'd call them tourists is what I'd call them. I'd call them damn tourists. Um, good tense EC album there, but um, no, yeah, it's it was the the like the, the the screening, the press screening of it. You could actually feel the electricity in the air. Do you know that kind of way? Because everyone wow. was just like, "I am ready to have a good time with this," and you know. Simon, you'd know this, and maybe you would, Aiden, as well. Certainly, Ed Smith, our producer this week, would definitely know this. Yeah. When you go to press screeners, they're pretty clinical, aren't they? Like, it's early in the morning. Nobody's really there for the crack. You know, you could have the the best comedy you can name on the screen, and you'd probably get the odd little chuckle here and yeah, there. Yeah, you are there not to enjoy it like you would with your, your friends and yeah. your, your other half on a Friday or, or, or a Saturday night. You're there to potentially go and have to interview the cast or write a review of it. So it's it's work in that sense. It's not the hardest job no, in the no, world. It's not, God, no, it's not the hardest job in the world. But yeah, it is. There is a certain element of, uh, how do you say? Business. Business about it, yeah. Um, people were literally rolling in the, in the aisles laughing at this. Like, that's how bad it was. <laughs> like, there was actually... And are they like, meant people... to be? Is it being billed as a comedy? Not at, no. not at the slightest. And in fact, actually, what I find, <laughs> what I find fascinating as well is, is that, like... Clearly, okay, to, to begin with, the film is terrible. In case that wasn't clear, the film is absolute what? muck. What? Like, it's, How, it's barely a film. How? I mean, we've seen the trailer. You told us all about the making of it last week, the money involved, the cast involved, yeah, the yeah. locations involved. I mean, the, the fact that, you know, someone of Michael Flatley's talent could write it, could direct it, could be the lead star in it, and now you're telling us it's shit. It's muck. Like I mean, wow. it is muck. Like I mean, Brian, it's... can can we break it down, brother? Okay, because okay. you're saying it's bad. Okay, I I want to know what specifically was bad about it. So let's start with first of all with the script. How bad was the script? I'll tell you what the script was like, Mio uh, China. Um, <laughs> there was a scene in it when Victor Blackley, and by the way. What a terrible name. His name is Michael Flatley. The character's name is Victor Blackley. Like how, that's that's the, it, it, it starts there and it goes down. It just starts there and it goes down, right? So okay. there is a scene in it early on in the film where... Uh, Victor, Can everyone just think now, we'll come back to this later, what your movie name would be based on your own name rhyming, okay? Well, that's, yeah, that's kind of... So put that yeah, in the back, uh, on we'll, the back burner for we'll a few minutes. We'll put that in the hopper, we'll let that come back. Um, so yeah, there's a scene in the early on in the film when um, Victor Blackley is walking through his kind of chintzy casino hotel, right? And there's this uh, jazz singer just playing the standards, you know, Mac the Knife, blah, 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 blah. Not terribly great a singer, I, I I think I can admit, and I'm not a music guy at all, but I think you know, fine. Okay. And then she stops, and when I say this woman had the broadest dairy accent I've ever heard, I mean, it was like she had just jumped out at the back of an RUC Defender van, like, and was racing towards me, like, just really broad Northern Ireland accent, you know that kind of way. Like, I felt, 
I felt on edge. I could hear my, I could hear, I could feel internment just, you know, coming to the back of my head, right, when she started talking. Just real lizard brain stuff, right? And then she starts talking and she goes, you're looking very well today, Victor. Might you come up and see me sometime? Oh, Jesus. Now, this girl, I should point out, right, uh, Michael Flatley is pushing 64, 65, I want to say. This girl, if she's 25, if not a day over. So literally, uh, twice, t- less than... Half his age. Half yeah. his age. More than half his age, sorry, I should say. Hurling herself at uh, Victor Blackley like she has walked through the desert and he is a cool, calming oasis of water. Just... Full force fucking and herself she at She is thirsty. Like like a damp and salty wench is what she was. Just hurling herself at him, right? <laughs> a, a damp and salty wench who you'd think might come out of the back of an RUC van back in the day. Just, I'm just mixing up all my metaphors here, you know, that kind of way. Whatever, like, who cares? Like, you know, who, who gives a shit? Okay. Um, and then it just gets progressively worse from there. Like, there was that many very bored-looking women in this that a part of the time I was thinking, God, is Victor Plackley running some sort of sex trafficking hub out of this casino? Because the amount of very good-looking women here that all looked terribly, terribly bored and just seemed to be doing nothing, just hanging around. It was like, is he running a brothel here as well? Like, I mean, I'd watch that film. You know, Simon. Like, I know you're good. You're good at like <laughs> the spin-offs. Uh, you're good at the spin-offs. alternate storylines. Like, you could probably Victor Blackley, not Michael Flatley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For legal reasons, is is running a sex trafficking ring. Yeah, out of this with very pretty Northern Irish girls. Yeah, he could set it in North County Dublin and call it the brothel from Ballybottle. Oh! <laughs> Thank you, Michael. All, he, or, all royalties directed towards me, please. So that's the script. It's. Cack. Oh, uh, no, perform- like performances, it's... Brian. Let's talk about performances. Let's R- start with the main man. Right. Um, I can understand that, you know, Michael Flatley has built up a very, very sex- successful career. Mm, sorry, a very successful career on stage. Yeah. And, you know, he's a dancer, he's a performer, he's an entertainer. He's a revolutionary. He's, sure. <laughs> yeah, mm. I guess. Um, in what sense of the word? But anyways, um, so I can understand the hubris of thinking, well, I've performed for millions and millions of people. Surely to Christ I can get in front of a camera and pretend to be an MI5, a retired MI5 agent and all this kind of jazz. Um, That's just what that is. Oh, hang on, plot twist. He's working for the Brits. Oh, yeah, that was the other part of this as well that I found hilarious, right? So his unit, his MI5 unit are called the Chieftains. Not the band, by the way. Not the band. They're called Chieftains. And uh, their leader is Patrick Bergen. Um, who again? The head, but who's called the head? The he's head is his even, character's name. That's the other part of it. He's never called the head in it. No, so he's, he's the never, head of the chieftains. He's Paddy Mulligan. He's Paddy Mulligan. Yeah, yeah. And like Michael Flatley is Barney McKenna. Um, <laughs> oh, no, that's the Dubliners. <laughs> Shit, sorry. I'm mixing, I'm mixing up my trial groups there. Um, but uh, yeah, no, it's just like. He can't act. He just can't act. Okay, he's now, completely inconvincing. You, inconvi- you un- did him. wonder last week in advance of this. Having watched the trailer, um, how many takes you reckoned he got yeah. to, to nail his lines? Because, Simon, you were discussing this as well, that if you're the director and the lead actor, and we'll use Jason Bateman as the example mm. in Ozarks, yeah. that because of the pressure on you, you feel you've got to nail it in one or two takes. You wondered, Brian, and I don't know if you were able to discern any more from seeing the film, how many takes you reckon he took to nail those lines, which I think we've, even if you haven't seen the movie, you, you can realise that, 
his dialogue is not very big in each scene. It sounds to me he got as many takes as he did acting lessons. Yeah. Now, I, do you know something in saying that? It would not... If I was to find out that he went full David Fincher or Orson Welles in this and was doing 25, 30, 40 takes, that would not surprise me in the slightest. If he did one take, that also would not surprise me. Um, he's just, he, didn't he, he just can't act. He just can't act. That's just it. He's just completely unconvincing as an MI5 agent now being a hotelier. He's just... <laughs> Like there was, a, I, there was a real fear. No, there was a real fear when I was walking into this. I was like, "Holy!" What's he more believable, not believable, as an agent or a hotelier? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> a hotelier. I mean, if he was doing Basil Fawlty, he might have something there. You know that kind of. Now, there's a well, film. What, I'd what about the rest of the cast? And that's Eric Roberts, uh, Bergen. Bergen. Like, okay, Eric Roberts is known for doing this straight to stream <clears throat> muck, right? He yeah. is well versed in it. Uh, you know. He's fine. I mean, I'm saying he's fine. I mean, relative to other stuff he's done, he's fine in this. He's not good. He's fine for what he's doing. Um, Ian Beatty. Oh, right. And Who I does he play in it now? He plays his kind of the comic relief and his buddy, if you know that sort of way. His uh, his compadre. His, uh, his, uh, his you know... Uh, Consigliere. Consigliere, yeah. Kind of confidant, whatever you want to call it. Mate. Uh, his mate, his buddy. Um... He's not that good either, and I hate to say it because he is. I've seen him be good. I've seen him in Game of Thrones, and he's fantastic. When he's playing a complete bastard, perfect. You couldn't think of a better man to play a heavy. Um, but trying to be kind of warm and kind of reassuring and kind of a little bit, he just doesn't have it in him. Um, Patrick Bergen has all of three scenes, and I mean three scenes, and yet wow. he's so prominent in the trailer. Uh, Nicole Evans, who plays the love interest in this, um, is not is also unfortunately not very good in this at all. And I would nearly argue, you were talking about how many takes. I'd say she got one take. I'd say she got one take for everything and had to nail everything in one. Um, because you can kind of see her, you can kind of see the motors moving as she's going through it. You know, the kind of she can you can see her kind of realizing. I think, anyway, mm. that um, this is a completely dog shit film. I've just got to try, get through this as best as I can and keep some kind of dignity intact. And she does do that for certain scenes, but like, you know, any actor will tell you, and Simon, you'll know It's a great headspace to be in to get into character, isn't it? Jesus. But like, no, but like, Simon, you'd know this as well. It's all about your scene partner. If your scene partner uh-huh. is muck, you're, if you're, you're left sinking, basically. And every scene that she, she has the most scenes with Michael Flatley and... You know, she is just acting him off the screen. But, like, it must be soul-destroying because <clears throat> as actors, when they read the script, they must have thought Jesus wept. But then they saw the offer and they went, OK, I'll do it. Yeah. Um, one of the things I read universally across the reviews is, um, you know, it, when you see the trailer, it's billed as an action thriller, mm. Bond, blah, blah, blah. But there's no actual action, action no. sequences in it. Is there not? No, there really isn't. No it's car so... chases, no big explosions. <clears throat> Nothing. And do you know what? I thought I had hoped. Um, like a lot of stunt people kind of refer to choreograph and action sequences as dance moves. Like mm. as in like it's one, two, three, four, five, flip, or five, six, da 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 Keanu Reeves talks about it when he's doing John Wick. Fight, fight scenes would be like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's, that's what I'm saying to you. So I was thinking, okay... Michael Flatley spent years as a dancer, surely to Christ, 
he'll be able to, you know, choreograph some really class action sequences and, and be he'd able be to calling hey, door three. I'm yeah, set. Do you know, yeah. Like honestly, like I was like, I was like, okay, if nothing else, it'll have that. Yeah, yeah. Not even that. Like there's two two action sequences in it. One is with this big, massive henchman called Quan, uh, who, by the way, he refers to as he's a big unit, which I just thought was <laughs> hilarious. Like when he, that line, that line got one of the biggest he, laughs. He's blatant massive. Yeah, he goes, he's a big unit, and everyone just cracked up laughing at it. And then he goes in to have a fight with him, right? And it is all of. Two punches and flatly lays him out. Now, look, I know Michael Flatley was a boxer back in the day. He won the Golden Gloves or something like that. Mm. So, like, the man's got hands, okay? Did but he win the Golden Gloves? That's one of the most prestigious amateur boxing tournaments in America. Did was he? there something I heard that? I thought Did I read that somewhere. Well, Maybe he didn't, I don't know. Maybe he won the the South Chicago, you know, something. under 10s under version. I don't, I don't know. know. Maybe Who knows? He did. Maybe there was something about it. He won some sort of... Very Basically, most people who win that go on to represent the country in the Olympics and generally medal, so... Okay, maybe it wasn't the Golden Gloves. I don't know, but there was something that he basically won some big boxing award, like, and he, you know, he had a career as it, and da 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 da. Um, th- that scene is completely horseshit. Just directed terribly, acted terribly, completely unconvincing. The guy falls. It's like he just goes, and he falls over, and then there's like this big splatter of blood on the ground. It's like there's no way that amount like I, I'm not even a doctor and I know that blood spatter doesn't look correct right then breaking he- news breaking news in the 1970s flatly competed in the amateur boxing Chicago Gun and Gloves tournament in the 126 pound novice division and won the middleweight division he recorded five knockout victories carry on there we go thank you for that update Simon so yes he won a regionalised localised version of it yeah. not the national version yeah, yeah, nonetheless that, I'm not taking that's, away from the man's impressive. achievement yeah, I did two white collar fights in my life and I lost both of them so well done you flatly nice carry on um, so yeah so then the final uh, action sequence is right at the very end of the film and it's the one that's kind of been built up in the trailers it's literally where he's got the two guns and he's about to have a big fight sequence and he's about to have a big gun big shootout with Eric Roberts is is he in the the, the boatyard yeah he's in the tux and yeah. the, 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 the bow tie is undone the bow tie is oh. open in a rakish fashion it's fighting time you know when you see that at a wedding yeah, oh yeah 100% oh yeah that's it everyone's got to throw shapes now yeah 100% blood splatter yeah. splattered on his strategic you know even in the tux. trailer and I know we're really picking the negatives and we will get to the positives because I'm sure there is some even the blood looked fake on the oh, shirt yeah, everything everything, yeah. everything it was so clearly just like eh, just enough of it there to make it look oh yeah and that was the other part of it um, the two henchmen walk up to him and he just they just duck behind a boat and you just hear literal like you know like cartoon library sounds like from punches like push, 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 like a Wilhelm screen you hear that and then he just walks out a frying pan clang yeah just like yeah biff pow pop and fucking then he, road runner yeah yeah and he just walk, it's like you don't see this and he just walks around and he just throws off his jacket and he goes, shall we dance? Oh. Simon, I hope you're taking notes here for, um, for any future directing projects of your own. When you don't have a certain scene and you're wondering how to save it in the edit, I think Brian that's it, Flatley's that's, just showed you how. There, there you go. That's, that's <laughs> directing masterclass. Right? You know, Spielberg, you know, Scorsese, Bresson. They couldn't do any better than this. Um, right, so listen, what about, we've, you've gone through script performances. What about the way it's shot, the soundtrack? Is there anything redeemable? I mean, uh, right, so in terms of directing and cinematography, the only thing you can say is the cameras were turned on and facing the right way. Focused. Oh, and in focus, yeah. <clears throat> um, lots of, oh yeah, I forgot to say this. There's a drinking game now for this. 
uh, the lighthouse uh, were on the first screening of it. They were handing out a sheet of paper that I basically saw that, had, yeah, yeah, yeah that okay. had like this drinking grain. And uh, one of the things was if you see an ominous tracking shot, you have to take a sip of your drink. Okay. And that's what this film is. This film is 40% ominous tracking shots. Um, and I can see why, because Michael Flatley had nothing to do with it. Cheap to make. It's just literally send up a drone and just send it across the screen or whatever. It looks pretty. Um, yeah, so the directing is non-existent. Um, the soundtrack is like cheap as chips, library music. Sinead O'Connor, of all fucking people, did a song for the end credits for this. And oh I, 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 I know, yeah, I heard it was like, was it fucking Sinead O'Connor. And I was like, fucking Sinead O'Connor. Yeah, well, surely that, that adds something to the, the plus column. I mean. No. I mean, <laughs> like, I don't know. I mean, she's a good singer. And she's an interesting, you know, like she is, like, like whatever you might think of her, like she is a integral part of Irish music history. Oh, absolutely. She's a phenomenal talent. And, and certain songs she's done have been used in... In films like Talented and, Mr. Ripley. Yeah, you know, and worked so, so, so well. Yeah, Butcher's Boy and all that. Um, what the fuck she was doing in this, though? I mean, God, I hope, I hope Flatley drove a dump truck full of money up to her house and just emptied it out on the, on the porch and was like, here you go, please sing a song for me. And she just walked in, recorded it, handed him a USB stick and said, bye-bye, and then takes the money and walks away. You hope. I hope. I hope that happened. Is the door open? Because uh, I'm not going to go and see it, but the ending, are we? is there a possibility of a sequel? Simon, the door isn't open. The entire house uh, okay. has been blown out the side and there's now a big, giant, gaping crevice in the side of it for a sequel. You might wow. as well have just have ended with Michael Flatley will return for Blackbird 2. Now, here's the thing. I don't know if he will make a sequel. It's absolutely set up for one. Mm. I don't think he will make a sequel. He'd be very foolish to make a sequel. Specifically because um, he can't... This was muck. More than muck. Um, he has been round... Like, I mean, the the reviews are all terrible. I mean, it's not just me. Like everybody. Your big worry last week was that this was going to be so bad it'll be good. It's not that was it. Oh no! This well, is no. so. This is so bad. It'll be good. My my fear was was that, was that it'd be it'd actually be just all right. It'd actually just be classic. all right. Yeah, yeah. That it'd be kind of like uh, boringly competent kind of thing. It's not that. It is so bad. It's good. So it, so is it everything you expected it to be slash wanted it to be? Uh, yes. Yeah. I mean, I wanted it to be. I mean, not that I wanted it to be shit, but like I knew it was going to be shit, and I walked in with the uh, awareness that it was going to be shit and it did exactly and it, it sounds like every other single person went in oh with that no same come on like, I mean, no one, nobody was going in here thinking this was going to be good except what him. was the buzz except like him. in the cinema amongst the journals when it finished when the credits rolled I mean everyone just kind of stumbled out kind of dazed and be like what the <laughs> fuck was that like <laughs> <laughs> Did y'all go for pints after? I <laughs> oh, no, we don't do that. Like, but I mean, everyone was just kind of standing around. and was like, God, he's a real fucking egomaniac. Like, he's, <laughs> he's actually crazy because, like, it's 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 one of those things where it's like it. There's a there's a famous scene in The Simpsons when Homer uh, becomes this character called uh, Poochie on Itchy and Scratchy, mm. and he comes to them with a note for Poochie, and he, one of his notes is, is, when Poochie isn't on screen, everyone should be asking, where is Poochie? Why isn't Poochie here? Where has Poochie gone? That's exactly what this is like. Every time Victor Blackley isn't on screen, they're talking about Victor Blackley. 
And when he's not on screen, they're talking about how worried they are about him, or only he can do. No one can do what he can do. That's one of the big wonder, Patrick Bergen's. I wonder at any point. And all the women want to fuck him as well. That's the other part of it as well. I wonder at any point in the process of pre-production, did he did he ever think of, you know, handing it off to a competent director? Like, do you think anybody could have done a job with the script and the cast? That's a good question. Um, I think it might be a mute point because I don't think that would ever I, enter his mind. Yeah, this was the biggest the politest way I can think of saying it is the vanity project oh yeah I mean that I mean look like the script is so threadbare and it's so cogged from Casablanca and Casino yeah, Royale yeah, yeah. that I think any competent director would look at it well, and maybe think, it's an homage to Casablanca yeah I mean I mean god you're really you're, that, that, the word homage is doing some <laughs> fucking serious heavy lift in there that is bench that is Deadlifting, right there, I can tell you. Um, so, is there any point in even cracking open open a Terry's chocolate orange at this point? Well, before we do, let me ask you: Is there? Well, tell me one good thing about it. One good thing about it. I, I will say. I mean, I know people who went to the 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 A thirty screening of it in the lighthouse, and they said it was one of the best nights they had in the cinema because the crack was great. The crack is ninety. People were laughing. People were drinking. People were turning up wearing fedoras and stuff like that. Like, there's a real, like. It, it It is absolutely going to be one of those films that will be screened at like half 11 at night in a cinema and people will turn up half pissed, you know, drinking naggins in the thing and throwing shit at the screen and laughing and just a really, really good time in the cinema you will have watching this because everyone goes in knowing that this film is terrible. So you don't need to take it seriously. You certainly don't need to treat it with any kind of mm. respect. And I think that's a good thing. And I think that's the kind of thing that would be lost. If this just was if this was just sent to Netflix or Prime Video, someone would watch ten minutes of it and laugh and say, Oh fuck this, I'm not watching it, and turn on something that they actually want to watch. But I think if you go to a cinema, you're committing to it. You're committing to I'm gonna go into this and watch this and have a good time with it, no matter what, because I've paid ten, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen quid for it. Yeah. I'm gonna fucking get fifteen quid's worth of entertainment out of this. Even if I have to throw stuff at the screen and laugh and cackle and all this kind of stuff. So it is going to do business for all the wrong reasons that Michael Flatley genuinely said yeah. uh, why he set out to make this. A hundred percent. You know, there's no tongue-in-cheek about it. He went out to make the film of his life oh, yeah. and everyone would see him as... But as, as in the case of Donald Trump, a vote is a vote is a vote. He looked yeah. at the box office takings and think, actually, I'm going to make a sequel because people love this. I mean, yeah, yeah but I mean, I'll tell you what, he will... Um, he will lose his arse on it if he makes a sequel because well if he does make a sequel I'm going to make it my life's mission to be in it oh my god Simon if you were in it I did see Simon who tweeted you was it Zig or Zag or Zig and Zag one of them tweeted you asking you were you going to be in Blackbird 2 oh I just that I think that I could make that my life work, life's work goal if he does make a sequel I want to be in it alright so now back to the question of what would your name be your character name based on uh, Michael Flatley's inspiration of calling himself that a name that rhymed with Flatley, Victor Blackley. What would Mine be, would sorry? be Damon O'Blaney. Damon O'Blaney. Actually, it's a great character for Blackbird yeah, yeah. Damon, Damon O'Blaney. Yeah. There's there's a Jack Reacher type series in that. Yeah, Damon yeah. O'Blaney. Yeah, yeah. Brian, what would yours be? He'd be Ryan Floyd. Yeah, Ryan Floyd, yeah. I can't be Brian Boyd because there's a journalist called Brian Boyd. There is, <laughs> And the yeah. amount of times, the amount of times people have like rang me or like I've gotten like calls and be like, oh yeah, uh, from the Irish Times, like no, that's Brian Boyd, I'm Brian Lloyd. Yeah. And, so, you, and you'd be Eamon Tower. 
Eamon Tower. Eamon Tower. And that's somewhat ironic because Tower suggests I'm I'm over five foot seven and a half. Um, I was thinking more Jaden Flower. Yeah. That's oh, that, that's a porn star. That's that's a, that's more a porn. That's more of a porn star. Eamon Tower is is good. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's that. There's your name right there. All right, da- Damien. Damien. Get Flatley on the phone again. Yeah, get him on the phone. We're gonna make. We're gonna make this work. All right, Michael, baby, I've got a story for you. For, uh, fade in on you know your casino. Two Irishmen appear. They're up to no good. But you, Damon O'Blaney and Eamon Tower, and uh, one of them wants to start a dance troupe, and it's called Lord of the Dance. But you, Victor Blackley, you know, you're retired. You know, you've given it up. So then you've got to uh, 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 go on a dance tour and you're going to travel around the world trying to take out terrorists while you're being a dancer. Okay, but given, like, we're low level. We're, like, touring Butlins. Yeah, but the boss is Ryan Floyd, who owns the brothel in Ballybaho. Yeah, that's That's right. That's you. That's That's me, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're Ryan, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want an eye patch. If I'm going to do this, I want an eye patch. I want to go full Blofeld. Like, I want, like, either the big scar and the yeah. eye or the eye I'm patch. curious, Simon, if we're the dancers, what are our costumes? Oh, there'll be sequins, Aidan. There'll be sequins. Oh, yeah. And, I and mean, they'd bands. have to take the curtains down out of the Abbey Theatre to make them for me and you, but, you know, <laughs> that you cut them out. <laughs> right, it's Already time it's to give out, this a rating. Like, are we opening like an orange or yeah. are you bothering any, taking any, it out of the car? Any final words? Because this has been a, a three, three and a half, almost four year odyssey for you and it's finally over do you have closure on on the flatley saga i do and i tell you this i was saying this to ed smith before we uh, started i never ever want to talk about this fucking film again i am so <laughs> i uh, right we will make it our life's mission to fucking mention it every I time we see you i'm <laughs> sick to my back teeth of talking about this film i am right. sick of it i never want to hear about it again don't ever fucking ask me about it. I, I, don't, I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. Um, don't bother your bollocks opening up the, the Terry Sutton <laughs> Just do not, do not bother your arse. Melt it but, down and make a big Jaffa cake out no, of it. Yeah. I wouldn't even use a segment. Go, I mean, it just don't even We have bother. to. We have to. It's befitting of the... Of, no, you can give it zero. Segment. I'll give it zero, yeah. I'll, I'll give it a big fat duck egg, yeah. So um, it's actually worse than Downton Abbey. Yeah, wow. because I mean, like, wow. Okay, right. Say what you want about Downton Abbey. I mean, at, at least, least it's a film. At least it's a film. This isn't a film. This is ninety minutes of uh, Michael Flatley's deepest darkest stroking desires, his flute. stroking his flute. Yeah, absolutely, just playing with his flute, and he does actually whip out his flute in it as well. <laughs> and I believe he whipped out his flute on the late late. He can't stop whipping out that he flute. He just he can't more flutes than the twelfth of July. You know what I mean? Like he just. Okay, just, just all and mad, apparently mad he carries his flute around in a box, which I think if I did, I'd be in Fawcett Circus. He carries it around in quite an aged, um, leathery um, <laughs> sack. <laughs> she has a name, you know. <laughs> okay, I think we have. Uh, we oh, have we've plugged we, the we depths have, there, haven't we? We have dug the hole and we have uh, lowered the coffin. Of Blackbird, we'll um, never mention it again, Brian. I God, swear. I, I plead, Simon. If you have any, if if 
the period. If you just have any regard, any regard for my mental health. I gotta say, please. Brian is looking, and, and don't take this the wrong way, but you're you you look physically affected by all this. You genuinely do. I'm not I am over, haggard. Overstating I am that. Haggard from yeah. talking about this. I am fucking sick to my back teeth. I was on. I'll just tell you right. I was on Ireland. I did Ireland AM, and then I had to do uh, Last Word, and then I had to go do the Ray Darcy show. Then I had to go do Talk Radio in London, and then I had to do BBC Radio Ulster. And then I had to do this, and then I had to write the review for it as well. I am fucking sick of talking about this film. I'm sick about it. I would have loved wow. to see if you said that on the Ray Darcy show. Oh, no. Jenny, Jenny, beep it, beep it. Where's the button? Beep it. Okay, All right, Brian Lloyd, for your services and uh, duty and commitment to the movie entertainment industry, as Michael Flatley would say, God bless you, son. Grand soft day that I am. <laughs> Not the man I used to be. The Blackbird is dead. So that was the review of Blackboard. Probably the finest delivered review we're ever going to have in this series, <laughs> Ada. Uh, the man has been exercised, demonised. Uh, he's he's left the building a broken man, but a man who faces a brighter future. <laughs> it's, it's a, he's drawn the line in the sand. It's a new in a new beginning for Brian. I, I have a feeling he'll he'll kind of miss. He'll miss us in in, miss in us. some way, um, but yeah, it it did it traumatized them. But it but it equally, it lived up to everything he expected it to be. It was exactly what he thought it would be, and more. What did you learn this week, Ado? I learned that despite your protestations, I'm getting in my car now and I'm driving to your house and I'm picking you up and we're going to the movies and we're going to see Blackbird. Oh Jesus Christ! I'll get me cocksock ready. <laughs> see ya. <laughs> 